Interstate Batteries offers a wide variety of batteries for your everyday needs. Stop into one of their thousands of retail locations and talk with a battery specialist about batteries for your truck, trail cameras, and even those weird batteries for your rangefinder. Interstate Batteries even offers cell phone repair in certain locations. For more information, visit interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the O2 Podcast. Uh, tonight, you've got Paul and Andrew, and we are fresh off of our trip down south to Senate Slam. Paul, how are, you, are, are you recovered yet? What a good one. What a damn good weekend, man. Good event, good music. Well, Archery shoot was fun. I had a blast. Yeah, I want to I wanna dive deep into that because it was, it was it pretty. Was, oh, man, it was, it was cool. It Go was, wild, Senate Slam. We've been talking about it for weeks. We got to experience it. Those guys... Those folks on the Go Wild crew, elite. They elite know they know how to throw a party. People. They do. You're damn do. right they do. So let's let's dive into that right now. The uh, so yes, if if you weren't um, paying attention to us in the last, I don't know how many weeks, but and that's completely possible. Uh, we've been talking about the Go Wild Senate Slam, and that was the event down in Louisville that our friends at Go Wild put on. And it started, so Paul and I went down, we took the families, uh, it was, what did we do? We went down Friday afternoon, got down there, got settled, uh, got up Saturday morning, went to the archery shoot, so they had a 3D course, what was it, 20, 25 targets. Five targets. Um, rain from the moment we got there. It was like uh, 3D archery in a rainforest. It was pretty cool. Pacific, so Pacific Northwest, we go, we go to, we go to hunt or uh, to warm up, and we met the ultimate hunting douche. I don't know this guy's name. We're gonna call him William. William, if everyone wants to know, warms up at a hundred yards. Yes, he does. That's where he and warms up. Warms up starts. at a hundred yards. Yep, and starts. That's where he starts. So this guy would not shut up about himself. I mean to the point where I was just like I'm I'm done. I, I slung like five arrows and I'm like I'm out. We I were all done. Yeah, we could yeah. There were five of us there. We couldn't listen to this guy talk anymore. And then the funniest part, well not funniest part was we were about halfway through the course and we we the looked behind us. You got to be kidding me. Cuz yeah. guess who was behind us? William. William. William the hunting douche. Oh my god. <laughs> Old and, Bill. And he, he's so like, for those of you that golf, like there's always that one guy when you golf, it's like, oh, you know, adjust your grip, adjust your feet, your back, shut, shut up. You're pissing me off. You are making me worse at golf. That's how he was. He tried to, he tried to like correct all of us. And I was just like, listen, man, like I'm not, I don't care what you have to say. I'm and, a shitty bow hunter. I'm a shitty archer. Leave me alone. You're I, not going to change anything. I'm not, I'm not saying what he did wasn't telling us the truth on stuff you might you might man good for you if you warm up in 100 yards or you pull out your 46 dollar range finder you got an amazon that has fog mode that you push a button and all of a sudden vapor goes, goes vaporizes clear. the fog yes vaporizes so that as i'm sitting here struggling with the stupid anyways uh <laughs> the best part though had to have been when we got to the very end and uh uh it was jacob or whoever was running the thing like so uh, how many bullseyes did you get or did you get any bullseyes we had like four in our group. And the group o- over twenty over twenty five holes. Four. Right. We had four bullseyes. And we are not William. Okay. No. But he's like, oh yeah, you know, like uh let's see. Uh three, four, five, seven, 
eight, nine. I haven't got to the back ones yet. I'm like, I just walked away. I'm like, I cannot listen to this guy talk. Bro, anymore. you uh, you shot by yourself. So why don't you just tell him you had 25 bullseyes? Like, <laughs> anyways, every one of them. But let's let's talk about that, Paul. Uh-oh. Let's talk about the one that really mattered. Okay, which, which one was that? The one across the water, 130. I ranged it at like 134. So it was all over. So it was it, we'll just say 130 yards. So did you pull out your 134 pin? Is that how you I did? did it? Yeah, I pulled out. Well, because I've been warming up at 100 all morning, so <laughs> I was pretty pretty confident in my accurate reading there. But the cross upon crosswind. Yeah, the crosswind. It was like crosswind. six and a half miles an hour. Yep. And there was like, what's the the the, the Coriolis effect or whatever? Like mm-hmm. that, you know. Had I had all that, I had the um, out of the Earth's flat. There's no Coriolis. No, yeah, I had the, <laughs> I had the humidity and Inside the barometric. I had all these. I had all these ratings, which none of that is true. I just uh, I put my pen, my sixty yard pen, which I I have sighted in. I put it on the elk and I raised it up to like I don't know above the trees. That's the the moon. Drilled it first shot. It was unbelievable. Yards. So we walk up to this. Drilled it. Bullseye. Well, not really a bullseye, but pretty damn close. They had an elk, a bedded elk, uh, about 130 yards across the pond. Full size, yeah. Full, full size, size 3D target. And I don't know. what We walked up. We were one of the light, later groups, and they had said yeah. there was only like three guys. That hit, no, no, no. There was one other guy before us, and two guys from our group. There were three total for the entire day that hit the 10, the ten ring. Okay, inside the 10 ring. Yep. Now, you walk up, very first shot, stick the damn 10 Boom. ring. Drilled it. Everybody, I'm we're, of course I'm sitting there and I'm like, Paul, are you you've been a ringer this whole time telling <laughs> us you're the world's worst bow hunter and here you go like I had a good day. You had a great day. I, I had was, a good day. I was impressed, man. But so the the second shot, forty yards short, plunked right water right in the water, and everyone you know, like the 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 bow hunting league guys were shocked. They're like, where were you aiming? Blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I don't know, man. I I totally panicked. So I was trying to remember where I was aiming on my first shot. Didn't even get close. The third shot, because you got three. The third one I put, uh, it hit the – you could hear it hit brush, like, right in front of the elk, and then it just kind of, like, landed right in the water. But it was cool. Good event. Yeah, and then uh, – Old Cousin Vince, he hit the ass of the elk. And, cousin and, Vinny hit the elk. Yep, Jay Rush hit the 10 ring. Justin's so. shot was close yeah. to yeah. the bullseye. He almost drilled it. I mean, he his, his shot was closer than mine. When I was looking at the picture on that, I mean, you guys were inches away from yeah. him. It was in, unbelievable. Yep. And uh, let's see what I put. Two for sure in the water, maybe one in the bank. And they Yeah, sank. one for sure in the bank. They sank right to the bottom. So yeah, it turns out that uh, high FOCs went. <laughs> the, the heavier arrows did not do too well with the uh, long. I, am, I had no desire to shoot my serious arrows into the I, I didn't want to lose them. I just got them. I'm still trying. So I, I, yeah, I use the uh, the non-adult arrows, but uh, they did me good. They did me well. So you know what? For something like that, you're flying flat and you know straight and fast. Yeah. That doesn't. So no yeah, shame there. But what happens, Paul? What happened later in the day that we found out because you hit that elk? Uh, I won a bear archery bow of my choice. So Paul's trip was completely paid for. <laughs> when, when they called his name and i don't think your wife realized it i was like ashley he, that's probably like a thousand dollar bow but. yeah the, i yeah because i i've been i've been like hinting to her that i'm like because the last bow that i bought i bought it in 2010 so i mean i mean this thing's old i mean like i i, I took it to performance archery there in newark had mike look at it and you know he's like when did you buy this but i'm like oh, 2010 he's like yeah that cam technology is from like the mid 90s yeah. so i mean yeah and it's a good bow i mean I've, I've i've had some success with it and it was time like shoot next to you guys like shoot next to you 
and, and shoot next to Vince who have newer bows. I mean, the, the, the sound, the performance, I mean, it was, it was painfully obvious that it was time for an upgrade, but you know, she treated me good one last time. So I'm hanging up my office. I would. Yeah. That some bitch gold or something. I don't know. Yes. <laughs> I should have saved the arrow. Congratulations but to you, my friend, you, because that is awesome. What was um, really funny is like, Four, what four holes before that? I drilled a tree. I was, you know, I was just tired. Yes. I, I was, I couldn't see. I was sweaty. That guy was pissing me off. William, William, hunting douche. William was it just was under my skin, and he's like, "Oh, it sounds like someone hit a tree." I'm like, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna kill this guy." Oh yeah, he was proud out. of you too because you you hit right square in the middle of the tree. I wanted to hit that guy. He said <laughs> he's like, that was dead center of the tree. I'm just like. Oh, dude, you motherfucker. Wasn't <laughs> aiming for the tree. But what really makes me mad is he didn't see that shot on the elk. I would have spiked the football. Hey, William. Don't you do that, buddy? Yeah. Warm up at 100 yards. Yeah. Good time, though. Hell of an event. Thanks to Go Wild. Oh, and then we, Thanks to Bear Archery. Appreciate you that, guys. That was the archery part. The, the 3D was great. Then we got downtown. Jacob and Braden did a hell of a job setting that yes. up. Yes. Yeah, Shout so. out to Jacob and Braden because, yeah. and really the whole team. Uh, when we got downtown at the amphitheater, they had the concert going uh, at some local uh, beer yeah. distributors. Beers were good. Oh, those were real good. Yeah. Uh, some family-friendly events. Um, Shooting BBs. and It was cool, man. Yeah. It was a fun event. We saw the, the Raisin Outdoors gal uh, was there letting kids shoot bows. And yeah. It the, was neat. The BB gun thing was funny. Um, I don't know how much you were paying attention. I was watching my two kids. My daughter is completely calculated she got about two or three shots down range in the same amount of time i think little man had like 25 shots down range he just, just like ripped sh- them and of course he's t- he tells everybody he knows what he's doing so he's yeah. like i got one of these at home he's he a hun- hunting douche in the making right there he should but- he should have been yelling send it the entire time <laughs> yeah <laughs> But then he had his lucky fishing hat that he got from the Kentucky DNR. That was cool. That was a cool hat. It had all the uh, all the game fish, native game fish from Kentucky. That was pretty sweet. That was a yeah. cool hat. No, but and I, so for those of you who weren't there, it was raining. Okay, it wasn't really supposed to rain. I think the rain was supposed to stop by about nine a.m. It started at eight thirty. It didn't stop. And it didn't until stop three about or four. yeah about four yeah. o'clock I think. So to the vendors that stuck around thank you uh that was great the kids loved it we got some cool stuff down there oh my gosh we got some danos shout out to danos seasoning uh because we got a lot of danos dude i have enough danos to to season an entire cow like i i could literally like a thousand pound cow yeah we could dry rub that thing pretty good (laughs) it was good stuff it was i actually used this night but um what else is down there i mean i just i can't say enough about the work that brad and jacob Braden, dan derek dan erica all those guys zach chris they put on they put a lot of work into that man and then the music itself was local oh man local and it was real kentucky music it was and it was good that cole cheney man he rocked that he was good justin wells was good uh i I can't remember her last name but abby was good there was there was a guy before the the very Dalton, first musician so. yeah Dalton maybe he was um dude he killed it they all did it they they did a great job but Cole Cheney that guy is a freaking star in the making man and he is just if you've never listened to his music YouTube him I mean he is he is good Cole Cheney and the what was it Wolf Wolf Pen Branch something like that band those guys were awesome the music was was incredible and then um, Cole's Cole's got a really unique sound it was kind of Chris Stapleton kind of Aaron Lewis and yeah. No, no drums. It was all. It's just a string band, which was really, really neat. So, 
yeah i i enjoyed that we've got uh got a lot to look forward to for next year i think it's gonna be fun yeah it, that 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 event send it slam i hope they do it again it's just gonna get bigger and bigger so yeah so and really once they start planning that one out you guys i highly suggest uh yeah it's a lot of a lot of fun speaking of events august 27th Vance's in Columbus, Tethered Teach and Train event. That's going to be fun. TetheredNation.com. Still haven't gotten up in it all the way. I mean, I'm like six feet off the ground. I'm working up to it. So Yeah, we need to get in that. But uh, this weekend, we got Archery Hike. Yeah. So Friday, Saturday, Sunday down there in Hocking Hills. Yep, ArcheryHike.com. Check it out. There's still some spots available for Friday and Sunday, I believe. There's also a big beer fest going on in Athens. Is that does that start on Friday or does it? I, I think I you can you can get on Facebook or Google it or something. But there's there's a bunch of like breweries and months is going to figure it out. So I'll just keep talking. But breweries, uh, distillers, whatever. There's there's a big event. So you can go to Archery Hike, sling some arrows, enter to win a Matthews bow, have some fun, head on down south. I, I think it wasn't Nelsonville. I'm I'm pretty sure that it was. Uh, that it was in Athens, so I don't know. Maybe another half hour down uh, down thirty three, you're going to be in beer heaven. So Court Street, it was on Court Street, if I remember. So that's for sure Athens. Ohio Brew Week, OhioBrewWeek.com. If you've never been on Court Street in Athens, buckle up, my friend. I mean, all them crazy college kids aren't there that you know this time of year, but oh man, Court Street, that is a Holy legendary smokes, place, dude. It's a nine day festival of Ohio brewing and fermenting. Oh man. Yeah, I love fermented anything, so sign me up. Yeah, sign me up. What else we got? First Light, firstlight.com. I got the Catalyst system. That thing's awesome. Can't wait to get uh, – they've got some some duck hunting stuff coming out, some waterfowl gear. Oh, man, I'm ready for it. So. Yeah, I've been kind of holding off talking a whole lot because I'm, I want to get the details on all that stuff and once yeah. it's released. And which, I don't know when it's coming. They don't tell us. So. They said July, so I think yeah. – Well, it's July. By so. the end of July, we should have they should have all their stuff released for the – year and then we're going to get somebody on to talk about it uncle steve better hurry up and get that duck hunt <laughs> stuff in. you know the only thing that's kind of annoying is i've lost so much weight so i bought that catalyst system and those pants like the they're they're too they're too big because i've lost two pant sizes since i since i ordered those so i'm, I'm just going to tighten up the uh <laughs> the suspenders and ride it out the rest of the year you know, it's always. I always said, or my mom always told me if you had to buy new clothes because you lost weight that's a good problem that is that, that is so. a good thing so but um let's see shout out to a couple reviews that we got here oh yeah these are good i appreciate the reviews thanks for the love we asked for it you guys delivered uh in hilarious fashion thank you so much if you feel so inclined to give us a review do so apple android spotify podbean wherever else you listen to if you if you leave a review hit us up on social media we'll send you some cool stuff if you don't care about that stuff leave a review these are hilarious um you know one of my favorite things is when people leave us reviews i, I love to look at the uh like the names yeah, andrew I so know. so what do we what do we got what's the first the first one it was balls five nine four seven six i love it so and then uh, the, i love it the man. second that's my kind of that's my kind of humor right there the second one, i gotta read this because it's hilarious from swanee 74 or is it swanee 74 or swanee yeah. i don't know fun what show to not? listen to mostly bow deer hunting their turkey stuff is great too. Oh, and here, here, here it comes. Here's, the, really, here's the funny part. You really need to hear one of them use a diaphragm turkey call. It's the best. Ha ha. <laughs> I showed that to my wife. Oh my <laughs> gosh, I, I did, great. I did too. She's just like, 
I, the fact that I'm I gagged on the radio so much, or you know, it's not a radio show, whatever. That was that was funny. I'm glad you guys enjoyed that. That keep, was good. Keep listening. We appreciate the support. We appreciate the reviews. You know, we're just we're just trying to have fun, man. Have fun. Light your day up. Learn a little bit. We're gonna kick our deer hunting deer hunting talk off. First, we're gonna get you a, an update from Nick Moen and his yeah. tournament bass fishing. Yeah. But then we're gonna talk some deer. So obviously, you know, whitetails in Ohio is a big deal. Uh, we won't be exclusively deer here for the rest of the year but it's going to be a big big portion of it so a lot like the turkey we got some really good guests lined up or you know we'll we'll do our deer series we'll talk about some really you know neat strategies talk to some really successful people we've got some really big name really interesting people lined up i think it's going to be really neat months i'm working on a special guest that you don't know about and i'm not going to tell you who it is until they sign into the zoom then when you think of deer hunting in this country this is one of the first people that that pop up in your mind anybody's mind and i'm not telling you i've been working on this in secret so it's gonna it's gonna happen Paul, i don't like secrets i love watching you sweat man and get all nervous you and- know it you know how i am too because just like when we were walking through the woods shooting at things when i've got became a head case and i couldn't hit the broad side of a damn bar. so we're, we're shooting at this at this turkey and I, I i like downhill shot angles and all that stuff i'm too dumb to figure out like angles but you got that fancy vortex thing you got didn't from around it didn't matter so i hit the target this guy puts it underneath underneath the target, goes underneath the target, and and sticks in, <laughs> into a tree. And after that, you were you were toast. After that, so I was a bit uh, rattled. After we had to walk back up that it hill, started, that's when I started getting shaky. It, oh man! It started with the stupid stabilizer. I couldn't get my stabilizer screwed back in, and that was driving me crazy. But yeah. Um. Anywho, back to this week's talk. So we're talking the deer up in up in the Killdeer Plains area. So like um it, the actual details are in the in the discussion Episode. itself but you know we've got uh that's the CWD area that's yeah. the hot zone that's the area where we're going to have an early season starts September 10th and then there's a gun, gun season, season in like mid October yeah, so early yeah they're trying to take the numbers down yeah, right they and are they, we talked to um Bob Ford Bob Ford Clint Mike Tonkovich, friend of the program, and then and then Clint is just one of the biologists uh, that, that does really good work. Three really smart guys. These guys have their finger on the pulse of deer herd management and deer herd health in the state of Ohio. So this is not just Kildare Plains. If you're like I'm never going to hunt Kildare Plains, I'm not going to listen to it. There's a lot of discussion that is it translates to to, to every corner, every county in this state uh, that the DNR does. This is a really good. It's a good. It's a good topic. It's a good conservation topic. It's a good hunting discussion. CWD. I mean, what, we didn't talk a ton about that. It was more about like the practice of why we're doing this and, and, and what we're seeing. So it was really, it was a really neat discussion. You guys, I think you guys will enjoy it. But it's a good kickoff to, uh, I think the the deer talk we've got coming. So. Yep. Pretty excited about that. So, um, let's see. I don't think we got anything else. We'll, we'll get into the show, but the. The O2podcast.com is yeah. the website. The.o2.podcast on Instagram. Follow us there. We've got um, Go oh, go Wild. It's the O2, O2 podcast. podcast. Or Paul Campbell. Don't Paul follow Andrew Montz. That guy never that. responds. What a jerk. Uh, <laughs> Ohio Hunt is the Twitter. What else? Dude, man? I haven't been on that Twitter. So if you guys are, if if, if anyone's of the 50 people that follow us on, on Twitter. Most people like are, add social media accounts. Uh, and we're like. 
removing them. Oh, God, I'm so sorry. Yeah, if you're communicating with me, I'm please forgive me. I'm, I'm not ignoring you. So yeah. I'm just... But, yeah, Elon Musk chased me off, I guess. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, oh, shoot. God. Well, uh, I think if that's all we got, Paul, then we will... We'll talk next week. I think that's it. Send us a review, man. Thanks for the love. Thanks for the support. Have a great weekend. Take care, guys. Hey, guys. I know we said we were going to have Nick Moen on to give us an update on the uh, his fishing bass tournament stuff, but um, I was just working on putting all this together and realized that I forgot to hit the record button with Nick. So next week we will have Nick on to talk. So with uh, that, we'll go right into our discussion with all of the Ohio deer people of importance. So enjoy. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the O2 podcast. Today we are joined with our We've got them all, man. We, Paul and I, we, we were able to uh, talk to our buddy, Mr. Tonk, and get us some of the the brightest deer mines in Ohio. Uh, we've got Clint McCoy and Bob Ford, along with Mike Tonkovich from the state of Ohio to join us. How's everybody doing today? Doing well, Andrew. Thanks. Well, Things are well here in Athens. Thanks wonderful, wonderful. Us. Pleasure to be back. Yep. So, Mike, you've been on, on with us a couple times. Uh, the last time we were on, we really recapped the Ohio deer season for 21-22. We talked about harvest numbers. We talked with we had Lindsey Thomas from the um, National Deer Association on. And then uh, we talked a lot about the CWD. So, as I kind of alluded to there earlier, um, one of the things, the reason that spurred this idea, this call, was... Uh, Really? Um, I went up to Kildeer Plains. I'd won that turkey lottery, so I spent three days up there um, in one of the units chasing birds, but obviously being a wildlife uh, refuge area, I don't know what the official designation designation of that area is, but uh, you saw a lot, of, a lot of wildlife, and there was a lot of questions that came up for me, both on the turkey side, but also on the deer side. And that area being kind of a, a hot spot with, with CWD, um, and I'm not going to lie, I mean, I felt like I saw more deer in there than I've ever seen in my life. Uh, so you start, your mind starts wondering, you know, you get massive populations, and then sometimes that's where you end up with disease issues and that kind of stuff. And that's what we'll get into today a little bit um, as a, kind of a precursor. But I don't know, Clint and, and Bob, do you guys want to give everybody a rundown of exactly what your positions are within the state? Uh, sure. Um, I'll go first. Uh, Clint McCoy. I'm the deer biologist. I work hand in hand with with uh, Tonk to 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 run the run the deer program for the state of Ohio. So me specifically, um, I'd say I'm more if if either one of us are field guys, I guess I'd be more the field guy. Um, <laughs> kind of in the in the air uh, in the helicopter doing deer counts. Um, you know, analyzing data, harvest data, analyzing survey data, creating surveys, sending them out to our hunters and uh, all those sorts of things. So kind of really anything related to deer is uh, kind of kind of where I fall into place. 
And I'll go next. So Bob Ford, I'm the wildlife management supervisor for Wildlife District 2, which is the 20 counties in northwest Ohio, uh, which includes uh, Wyandotte County and Kildare Plains wildlife area. My job is basically to oversee the wildlife management research programs and projects within those 20 counties, uh, oversee things such as public land management um, as, as one of the, the many things, and then also um, collection of data uh, specifically to the deer program, uh, the things that uh, Clint and Tonk need from the field uh, to make uh, informed decisions. Uh, our, my staff uh, are the implementation part of that process where we actually physically go out and do the data collection. So, um, so that's kind of been my role here. And then we also oversee the controlled hunts that occur in our district. Very good. So, so Clint, you're kind of over this whole state, Bob, you've kind of got that Northwest portion, uh, is what you're saying, right? Yeah, in, in a nutshell. Idea. In a nutshell. Okay. Um, I guess before we get into kill deer specifically or uh, some of that, do we want to talk a little bit about any updates on the CWD side of things? I think that since, Mike, we talked last, we've come out with um, some updated testing results and some new um, or, or more deer that have tested positive. I think I, When was the last time we talked? I think it was about February. It was right after the season had ended, so. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't recall exactly, Andrew, but yeah, we uh, we certainly can go over that. Um, let me uh, see what I've got committed to memory. So, so we ended up with nine total positives this year. Um, eight of those were were collected uh, during uh, surveillance during during the hunting season, and then we had a uh, uh, we had four nights of of uh, post hunt. Um, uh, removals uh, conducted by uh, USDA Wildlife Services. Uh, they removed 180 deer and we ended up with an additional adult female that was positive. So, so that brought our total uh, nine positives out of almost 1300 deer uh, sampled this year. So add that, you know, of course, and then we ended up, we don't need to review history, but we had two last year. So, so we're sitting at, uh, sitting at nine this year, two last year. Were those across the entire state or is that just in that uh, that was just within the disease surveillance area. Yeah, we tested almost 4,400 deer across the entire state, and that would have been all but about 24, 22 counties, somewhere in that vicinity. But there were 22 counties, I think, 22. Uh, this is where Clint always helps me out remember things, 22 or 24 counties that we did not sample. Uh, and it may have even been 26. I don't recall, Andrew. But uh, that 4,300, almost 4,400 would have been statewide. The 1,100 or almost 1,300 total. Like it was like 1,108, I think, and then we added another 180. So rounding up, we were just sitting shy of 1,300 deer in that um, disease surveillance area. Yeah, I don't think anybody's gonna hold hold you accountable if you're off by a couple there, Mike. So we'll be all right. Okay. Uh, now, are those voluntary tests or were these uh, state kind of required type of tests that you guys were doing? It was a combination. Yeah, it would have been a combination. So so we had. Two weekends in November, uh, what we deem to be, uh, you know, uh, peak uh, bow weekends in, in early November uh, that were mandatory testing. And then we had the, uh, the seven day gun season that was mandatory testing. Um, so a total of 11 days where hunters were required to submit their deer for testing. 
And then outside of that, we would have collected uh, any number of other sources, such as um, um, voluntary hunter submissions. They could have submitted samples in any number of self-serve kiosks starting at the, uh, you know, nearly the start of the season um, through through the end of the season. We had controlled hunts in there on the on their on Kildare Plains uh, Refuge. Um, we would have drawn samples from from taxidermists for those three counties, uh, or or from the. Um, uh, of course, the problem with taxidermists, Andrew, let me clarify that, is that because only portions of Hardin and Marion counties were in there, we couldn't assign, generally assign uh, a Marion or Hardin County taxidermist sample to the DSA. It would have been just assigned to the county because we would have had no idea in, in many cases. Now, there were some cases where we could have put it in a township and put it in the DSA if the records were complete. But, uh, uh, but of course, Wyandotte County, any, any deer that was harvested in Wyandotte County since the entire county was in the DSA, those taxidermist samples, those processor samples, those road kills and suspects that should have captured just about all sources of uh, those samples. Pretty typical, I might say, for most states. I mean, that's, you know, you get a collection of, of a myriad of different uh, sample sources. Gotcha. So, I mean, nine positives is not good. But out of 1,300, is that, I mean, we try to look at the bright side of things. I, I feel like, I, I, I hear numbers from Wisconsin, which obviously that's really bad, where you're getting 6 out of 10 uh, bucks off of a farm that are testing positive and stuff. So 9 out of 1,300 sounds like we're in a better spot. Well, yeah, that's that's a great way to look at it, uh, Andrew. And of course, Bob and Clint, both you guys can chip in at any time. But but um, I, I think the more important question is, yeah, it's, that's incredibly low. That's less than 1% across the entire disease surveillance area, right, uh, amongst adults. But then then the question becomes, okay, so that's not so bad. But what does the, you know, when we start talking about the future, it, it's it's the start of something, unfortunately. I, I you know, we, we haven't declared uh, CWD uh, victorious by any stretch of the imagination yet, but but uh, another year to it most, and, and I think we'll know for sure what we're dealing with. Um, but nine, so, so the question, of course, Andrew, that, that um, late in the game, as we prepared for these, um, uh, these, these two open houses last week in Marion and Wyandotte counties, one of the things that occurred to me is someone's gonna ask, you know, what are the odds that you may have collected all nine positives out there in a population, in that population across the disease surveillance area? And the, the answer is effectively zero. Um, and, and to put things in maybe uh, a little bit of perspective for you, um, another way of looking at that is we had to, in order to answer that question, you had to, you had to come up with even, even though it was just a ballpark uh, estimate, we had, we had to generate a population estimate for that DSA. Um, and, 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 and again, rather large confidence intervals around this, but we, we settled on about 8,000 deer. So, so the question of course is, you know, what are the odds if there were only nine positives and, and you scooped 1,200 out of there that you would get all nine positives? Uh, one of my uh, good friends from Minnesota put it this way. He said, well, Mike, you'd have a 50% chance of doing that um, provided now this is just a 50% chance of collecting all nine positives, provided that you removed 7,804 of those 8,000 deer. So the reality is, um, while that's an incredibly low prevalence rate, um, it means most likely will mean work ahead for us. Bob, when you're up there in that part of the, the state, what's the, uh, what's the feeling on the ground from your, your hunters and stuff? Are they willing to help out and, and help you guys with 
collecting or is it something that it's getting a little bit pushback? Uh, I think that there's a mixed bag, um, so to speak. We have a, a tremendous number of, of folks in our area that are genuinely interested and, um, you know, are, are happy to, to assist us. Um, and, and, you know, we've taken advantage of, of that and their, their efforts. Um, it's because of their efforts that uh, we know what we know, and we're genuinely thankful for their participation, um, regardless of, you know, when things are mandatory or voluntary, we've had a tremendous um, um, participation. Um, but obviously, you know, the more that we get, the, the better informed will be. Um, so, so yeah, I think generally speaking, we've, we've, we've had a good response. Um, there are some individuals who, you know, obviously uh, may not um, align with our thought process, uh, but generally speaking, you know, it's a matter of communication and um, uh, working together. So, and as we move forward, we'll figure out how to, to do that. Just recapping on the process for the, the testing and stuff. So I shoot a, a monster buck. I'm super excited. I got my, my grip and grins. I've, I've showed all my, you know, friends and everything, put it on all my social media, but I want to eat it. Right. So, but I want to get it tested first. What, what's the process look like just for, for people, uh, you know, really across the state in general, I mean, you can take it to your kiosk and stuff, but then do you take it to the harvest or the processor? Do you start processing it yourself? Do you just put it in the freezer and wait? And what kind of timeline do you have on that? Well, Bob, you want to I guess take I'll that? Yeah, I, I can take that. So I guess, you know, that there's a whole lot of questions in there. <laughs> and uh, I'll, uh, I'll try and break it down as best as I can. So if you are hunting in the disease surveillance area and you have the opportunity to harvest uh, something that you would like to have mounted and put on the wall, um, you know, there's a couple things to consider. Number one is carcass regulations. So, uh, uh, you know, as far as understanding, you know, what those regulations are before you can move it move that carcass out of the disease surveillance area. So, um, you know, the rule is right now, you cannot move high-risk parts out of that disease surveillance area, uh, which include, you know, the spinal column, the brain, things of that nature, um, unless it goes to a certified, PWD-certified taxidermist and or processor. So that's, that's one part of this. The second thing is, as far as getting the deer sampled, if uh, if you take that deer to a collection station, inspection station, or a kiosk, the first thing that one of the first things you're going to come to understand is, if you bring it to a kiosk, there's instructions that say, "Do not leave <laughs> the head here." Um, the last thing that the Division of Wildlife wants to do is to mess up anybody's uh, mouth. So, if so, leaving it at a kiosk is not an option um, because obviously, you know, it, it would be hard to not only return 
to head back to the individual, but um, it would just there's no option there to get it mounted, um, you know, moving forward. The other thing is is that if the hunter um, arrives at one of the inspection stations during the mandatory um, period, first thing we're going to do is ask, hey, are you planning to get this deer mounted? And if the hunter says yes uh, or is unsure, we will not do any cutting on that, that head. Um, we're hoping that that head will go to a taxidermist that we can work with to pull the tissue sample. Uh, but again, any if, if you were to take that deer head outside of that disease surveillance area, um, it would definitely, per the carcass regulations, have to go to a CWD certified taxidermist, um, regardless of if they were participating in our uh, sampling or not. So, uh, but we're going to try and work with all the taxidermists and processors moving forward and um, try and figure out a good way to get that uh, tissue sample. Um, as far as getting the results in relation to processing, uh, you know, if you plan to consume that, um, that deer, um, you know, we are pursuing avenues to expedite um, the time it takes to get test results back. But, you know, inevitably, especially when you're trying, as a hunter, trying to figure out, okay, what do I do with this? It, you know, it is a, it could be an extended period of time. Um, and not everybody has the capacity to, you know, debone uh, a deer carcass and hold that meat until the test results get back before they take it to a processor or do whatever they're going to do with it. Uh, but uh, basically, essentially, we just, you know, um, would recommend if, if you cannot hold that meat uh, before you get your test results back to basically, uh, once you take it to a processor and you, you know, the processor is, uh, provides you that final product, so hold it. Um, until the test results are are um, obtained. Um, again, you know that is one of the things that we've heard a lot from a lot of different hunters is the time that it takes is a concern, and you know we'll do what we can to expedite that as much as possible. But we um, unfortunately we can't results uh, around in a couple of days. I wish we could. Not reality at this point. Right. Does I hope that. Yeah. No, that's yeah. good. That's good. Um. Does the state have like on the website or somewhere uh, a list of your CWD certified processors? Yes. Um. There, on our website, um. There, there is uh, a list of all of those certified facilities that hunters can reference. Are those statewide or is it just in that uh, DSA zone? They're statewide. Uh, okay, good. I was just thinking if you were to, okay. Hey, Andrew. Yeah. This talk here, I, I just thought maybe I'd see if I can add a little mud to the water, actually hopefully clear things up just a little bit because it is a little murky and, and, and it, it's important. I think um, we had we had a couple opportunities to, to uh, answer these questions last week. So um, let, let me add a couple things to, to this conversation. Absolutely. Uh, that, that may or may not help. Um, and, and 
really just to clarify, Bob did a wonderful job explaining what your options are, but but I, I just want to make sure folks um, uh, understand that, that there are a couple different types of taxidermists out there, if you will, that the certified um, processors in taxidermists are just folks that have that have agreed to watch a, uh, you know, a 20 minute presentation uh, and get behind our efforts to, you know, to control the spread of, of CWD through proper disposal of carcasses and waste and so on and so forth. So some of those, um, some of those processors and taxidermists um, may be participating with us. Um, that is, that is probably the, let's just say that's probably the larger of the two groups, because I think we participated with about 56 different taxidermists this past year um, that pulled samples for us. Some of those, some of those taxidermists have been working for us for four or five years, maybe just a touch longer in some cases. So that's another group. So there, so maybe a subset of the of the certified. I, I don't know how best to characterize this, but but there are certified taxidermists that may or may not pull samples for us. They could probably figure if they don't. In other words, we we have a I wouldn't call it a contract, but we have an arrangement with them. They they may collect 30, 40, or even just as you know as few as 12 samples for us uh, a season. Um, and, and some of these folks that, that have been pulling samples for us, unfortunately, are not certified. So, so it's important for folks to understand taking your deer to a taxidermist that is pulling samples for the Division of Wildlife may not necessarily be the same as take, meeting your obligation to taking your deer to a taxidermist that is certified. Okay, I, I hope that's clear. There are two types of folks out there. So it's important that, that folks understand, ideally, we would get, you know, all of those taxidermists that are working for us certified, but it's unlikely that we'll get the certified taxidermist um, to all pull samples for us. It's just, you know, too busy, not 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 interested, um, whatever the case may be. So, I just want to make that distinction. And and finally, for your for your situation, you got a trophy buck. You absolutely, positively don't want it, don't want anyone cutting on. You go to a taxidermist that's not working for us. He's certified. Um, but he's not pulling samples for us. Um, it, at the end of the day, if if you really were interested in knowing, you could you could request, you know, the uh, the, the carcass from him, get it to you know one of our call our district office. We'd find a way to either either a coach you through cutting the samples out. We have videos available. There's several online that will show you. It's it's a pretty simple process, or you could potentially get it. Um, uh, to one of our district offices, one of our work units. Um, we're going to do what we can to get your deer tested if it's if it's that important to you. Um, it's just that the, the obviously the bucks that are going to be mounted, as you would imagine, create some create a few speed bumps for us, but they're not insurmountable. So this is just the bio or the you know kind of scientific side of my brain working. Um, I haven't used it in a while, but the uh, when. You, the way I understand this disease, you know, it's the, the prion or prion that is causing the issue. Is there any concern with people pulling samples and spreading this more than they they would if they had just left it in place? I mean, because whatever I've seen that, you know, that prion can last in the soil forever. It can last, you know, it could be heated up to whatever, 1400 degrees and not die and that kind of stuff. And if we're just like pulling samples and then tossing you know, knives around, put it in the dishwasher, whatever, like that, uh, is that something that, that is of a concern at all? Or is this treated like a hazmat in a doctor's office type of thing? 
Well, you know, I'm going to let others jump in, but but I'll start the conversation. I'll start the answer. And and um, Andrew, that's that's certainly a great question. It's a, it's a question that is debated, and, and we are debating currently. Um, and and I'll I'll take it down to let's let's go back to the Kildare Plains uh, refuge. You know, does it does it make sense to leave roadkill deer, for instance, on the side of the highway that may potentially be positive, or anywhere else in the state for that matter? Now, obviously, we don't know that they're uh, that they're they're positive unless we unless we pull them and test them. But um, you know, they're, they're, I think some will argue that it makes sense to remove them from the landscape because they're you know they're a potential source for uh, future infections. You've got scavengers, you've got crows, you've got coyotes. You know, potentially moving prions uh, across the landscape um, as opposed to um, as opposed to loading those up. If, if you've ever watched. Um, you know, a, a highway maintenance worker load a deer with a come along into the back of a, uh, a pickup and drive off with perhaps that wonderful goo that's coming out the back, you know, for the next, you know, 400 yards, um, you know, wh which is which is the best approach? And, and so I, I don't know that we all on this call would agree, you know, what the best approach is, especially when you've got the disease established, you know, does it make sense to leave it lay? Um, you know, and of course, then there's the, the question that comes up sort of tangentially when you have this conversation is, all right, so I'm a landowner in the DSA. Why do I need to bag my, my, my deer um, um, rather and, 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 and set it out for trash pickup rather than taking it back? And I think that's an apples and orange question for sure. It's, you know, it's, that's, that's why would you take a deer from the field? process it in your pole barn and knowingly take the waste back out and dump it on the landscape unless that was your only option if you didn't have trash pickup yeah let's bury it then rather than putting it back on the back 40 but to leave a deer lay uh, along the roadside undisturbed i think that's a that's a totally separate issue but you know as far as hunters processing uh and, and concern there you know we recommend uh, you know a, a, a bleach solution for cleaning utensils i think you know, once you get that deer um, home and you're work on, working on it yourself, I think there's opportunities you know, to be careful and, 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 and clean. And obviously there's, you know, there's no way of knowing whether you've, you've you know, what, how big of a prion load you're dealing with. Um, lots, of, lots of unanswered questions, but I'd, I'd say probably the, um, the poster child, with, if you will, for, you know, this debate about you know, spreading the disease really comes down to, you know, moving deer on the landscape that that uh, may or may not be positive in a zone that you know we know we've got cwd but i'm rambling now so i'm going to ask clint or bob to to fill in if, if there's if there's uh other things to be mentioned that i'm overlooking yeah i i don't know that that i have much else to add um andrew would you have any follow-up questions to anything that tonk mentioned there no, I mean, I think the way I look at it, and I, our listeners know, I'm kind of a natural skeptic, and it's not that I don't buy into CWD at all, don't take it that way, but man, it's it's biology, there's so much going on, right? And and we hear stories about deer, you know, a buck that traveled, uh, you know, 180 miles during the rut, and like he could move it, and then you've got the, the all the, and I don't know how much of it's just misinformation or not knowing, I think one of the things that my, we talked about before talk like we're learning about a lot of this there's a lot of research going on and, and how to take care of this stuff and it's um you know maybe apples or not apples apples but it's very comparable to 
other issues going on in the world uh, that maybe humans are, are dealing with, but like h- how we can all work together and, you know, to protect the deer population by doing stuff that's basically common sense and, and, and just making sure that when you do process your deer, you're taking some of these considerations in the, in the, the back of your mind and, and trying to help where you can, even though it, it may, may help, may not. Um, it's, it's, you know, everybody doing their, their kind of part. Right. So. Yeah. And, and I think it's just erring on the side of caution in a lot of cases, just because we don't truly know, you know, the full impact in uh, a lot of these, you know, a lot of these scenarios. So, you know, as, as a state agency, it, it is our job to, to err on the side of caution, if that makes any sense to you, that, that, um, you know, we just ask our hunters to, in your case, with pulling samples or, or what to do with your carcass, just, you know, it's in the best interest of everyone to err on the side of caution and dispose of of that of that carcass or that waste properly um again just because there are still so many you know several unanswered questions with regards to to prions and how they how they move and how how long they stay active and where they stay active and what they bind to and all those sorts of things yep paul do you have any yeah, i think I... oh go ahead mike oh, i'm sorry no I'll, I'll, uh, I'll just follow up with that because I think that's a great point and, and a great segue into something that we have done uh, and will do our entire careers, and that's strike a balance. And, and that, in this case, that balance is between erring on the side of caution, but not so far that, that we push you guys to the curb and you decide, you know what, that's a little too much caution for me. Um, you know, when you start taking away things that make hunting what you've uh, come to call hunting, you know, whether it's baiting and feeding, whether it's, you know, whether it's uh, urine, natural based urines, um, carcass restrictions, you know, we, we've got to be mindful of that as well. So, so we're, we're continuing, continually uh, checking, erring on the side of caution with um, how do we make sure that we don't make uh, this so difficult and so uh, unenjoyable that we lose you guys. So, so that's, that's the other thing that state agencies are constantly doing is, is balancing that, um, you know, the odds of losing you because we're making things too restrictive or too demanding or too many, you know, you, you can't even understand the rules. So you decide it enough's enough as opposed to, you know, throwing all caution to the wind on the other side. We're trying to find that middle ground. You know, talk, I think the first time we talked, we, we, we spoke about what you guys do at the state with that balancing act of, wildlife biology and and realistically people's feelings um and that's that's a tightrope that i didn't realize that that you guys walked every day and I, I i found that one fascinating uh and two i'm sure that is really frustrating at times so so <laughs> andrew if, if 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 you mind i'd like to i like and, and and you guys on this call i'd like to jump into the the rule changes that the the wildlife council approved earlier this year specifically in that deer surveillance area that three with three counties uh Hardin, marion and wyandotte county so and, and tonk you just talked about kind of you know limiting opportunities for hunters we've got deer archery season up there september 10th february 5th that's brand new um the early deer gun october 8th to october 10th and then uh everything else fall, falls in line youth deer deer gun deer muzzleloader uh throughout the state in those zones so we've got two two new seasons early gun early archery what's what's the one why um 
were, were those those two you know deer gun early early archery why, why did we choose those and and two what's what's kind of the goal of those extended seasons if you will yes so paul um i'll start out and again i'm happy to have others uh, chip in here um clint and i were working um collaboratively collaboratively on these um the um um the idea there, guys, is, you know, I, I to take this down to a level that, that because um, some days my science brain doesn't work either, um, but to take this down to a level that I think we all can get our head wrapped around, we're dealing with the deer disease. Um, and so, obviously, we're not going to eliminate the deer as a, as a means to eliminate the disease, but, but if we can um, uh, buy some time, if you will, um, by reducing um, the deer population to the point where uh, two things happen. Number one, uh, positives are, are potentially removed, um, if not um, at least interact with fewer deer. Um, and, and number two, um, fewer deer on the landscape would, would also, uh, we believe, contribute to um, lower likelihood. There's still going to be deer that are going to be dispersing out of the area. But, but um, the bigger picture is let's let's just think about this as you know if we're going to manage a disease we need to manage the deer population and I think Andrew you started this conversation um, mentioning your experience there at the Kilder Plains uh, Refuge you know the number of deer that you saw so we certainly have a deer population issue that we have really done a good job of addressing but need to continue to address and I will say this uh, make no mistake uh, we certainly have to work with landowners and get them on board because there are properties in that in the vicinity, uh, you know, within a stone's throw of the refuge that are um, really uh, they need to join us in our efforts to reduce local deer numbers there for sure. Uh, so, so we've we've um, we've we've thought that um, the seasons, the additional opportunities um, would help us uh, to that uh, to, to meet that end goal of, of, of lowering deer populations. Now. It, the idea there is, is even if, and I think we've all, you know, we all realize this, we've, we've probably talked about it once before, you know, there's a finite number of deer hunters are going to kill. Um, and, and, and we recognize that, um, at least right now until, until there are some substantive changes that we can make and hunter attitudes towards, towards deer and, and they have more vacation time, whatever, um, there's, there's going to be a finite number of deer that, that I think hunters are, are willing to take each year. So that said, even if, even if, um, you know, so then you ask the question, well, why bother with, you know, messing up the system and adding a couple additional seasons? I think the answer there is that earlier, all else being equal, even if we harvested the same number of deer guys, uh, earlier is better than later. Um, if we can prevent those deer from dispersing, if we can remove a few extra bucks before they, um, uh, you know, Andrew, you mentioned take off for that 180 mile trek um, around the uh, around the county or associated counties adjacent counties um, then we're going to be better you know that much better off yeah at the end of the season we may harvest the same number of deer but but at, again all else being equal removing those deer before they can disperse before they can deposit the positive deer can continue to deposit prions and and, and infect other deer um, the better off we are going to be. So, so that's that's really the rationale is is that if we're going to manage a deer disease, we've got to manage the deer population. And and the hope is not to reduce. Clearly, we're not we're not taking the deer population down to a level that um, 
you know, folks have never seen before, but, but we'd like to reduce deer populations, um, knowing that in turn, that should um, eliminate um, a few dispersers, maybe a few positives, um, and, and, and ultimately, again, You've talked about some, you know, we've talked about some success stories before um, in different states. Um, and I mentioned that the reality is it's probably here to stay, but we don't have to walk away from it um, and throw our hands up in the air. You know, we can, we're, we're still in a position, um, if we can eliminate it, we can certainly keep it low for as long as we'd like to make that investment. So will the USDA be involved still in harvesting deer in those three counties, or is that just to kind of like that, that initial big testing push that you guys did? Well, that's to be decided yet. I th I'd, I'd like to, you know, long range planning. Um, if we're not going to do that, we can probably expect um, to follow in the footsteps of most every other state that has not. And that is, you know, continue expansion and, and increase in prevalence. So one of the one of the things that that I've heard at wildlife council meetings uh, with the public and just in just general conversations with people is is there's this perception that the the state's goal, the USDA's goal, uh, is zero deer. So let's wipe the deer herd population out in these CWD hot zones and then and then hit the reset button and start over. So that's not that's not the goal, right? Yeah, absolutely not. You Paul, know, that, take that, your tinfoil hat off. <laughs> I'm just. Uh, I'm just, I'm not a deer hunter, so I'm just repeating what <laughs> yeah. I hear because I, I, you know, I, I look at it and I'm like, that's not, that's not what they want to do. And it's, I think yeah. it's important to hear you say the, the people that are literally in charge of the deer herd population in the state, that's not our goal. Our goal is to not wipe out the deer population and start over. So I think that's important. Well, that's to say. A, you know what? I, I, I'm going to take those words right out of your mouth there and, and, and repeat it for the group. Um, the group that, you know, we're, we're talking to the people that are literally in charge of the deer population. The reality is we're not. Um, we set season frameworks. That's all that we do. It's, it's, up to, it's up to folks like Andrew and the landowners in the DSA and the hunters in the DSA to buy into that season framework and pull the trigger or release the arrow. We do not control. Make no mistake. We set the seasons. We set the bag limits. We Fair encourage. Enough. We educate, right? I mean, but, but at the end of the day, this is private property. So all that we can do uh, is, is hope that we can communicate um, uh, our, our goals and our intentions uh, to the hunting public, to the landowners. And, and I tell you, Bob, I, I got to put a plug in for Bob because clearly he nailed down 15, 000, over 15,000 acres for us to get access to. Um, and, and so great job, Bob. It probably helps that he lives in the neighborhood. He's just a great looking guy goes to church with these folks. And so he's able to get permission. And, and so that's, that's what we're talking about in terms of conveying to the people that actually do manage the deer population that, Hey, we've got the best of intentions here. We'd like for you to, to, to allow us, you know, to, uh, to, to implement these plans. And we, we got the support. Now we need to work on, you know, a few more hunters. And, and, and I think that's, uh, you know, that's where moving forward, that's what, where we're going to be is, is focusing on developing that, that, continue to develop that communication plan, that dialogue, um, and get those get those landowners who control access to the property and control access to some of those very, very large deer populations on board with us. So will there be more permits issued to landowners in those in the DSA, private landowners, to harvest, yeah. you know, does or so we're we're actually talking about that right now, as a matter of fact, and it's it's certainly not too soon to be thinking about the fall of twenty two because it's going to be right around the corner, unfortunately. But, but um, you know, one of one of the things um, 
that we have to do is, we, you know, we have to step through. It's an iterative process. Unfortunately, we know where we'd like to be, but but we have to take probably four or five turns rather than a direct route because that's just the nature of the business. So we, we need to get folks, we need to build buy-in, we need consent, and we need folks to understand. Um, for instance, um, many hunters want to do the job that the USDA Wildlife Services did. Could you imagine hunters shooting 180 deer in four nights? Add the hours up. I mean, it's that's just not... But hunters do have a very important role, and I need to remind folks of that. You know, they were the ones, a hunter in, in, in 2020 got us onto this situation, right? With their hunter harvest deer submitted to a taxidermist that's cooperating with us. So hunters have a vital role in this, but they also need to understand that they, we were there to kill deer, not to hunt deer uh, with that postseason removal. And so, I mean, this, is, this, this comes back to our ability to effectively and repeatedly communicate um, what our end game is, you know, what our goals are. And it's not zero deer. I mean, that's, that's absolutely positively make no mistake that that's not it uh, for sure. You know, we, we, we need to, and I've said this, you know, Tuesday and Thursday of last week, countless times, it comes down to what the hunters in the area and the landowners are willing to support. We can make no decisions on private property without their permission. So it, it, it really is, it's about the job that we have is not killing deer, but communicating folks what our, what, what we'd like to see happen and lay out for them the options that are before us. I'm going to just make a connection. I hope that, that you guys have already done this, but your, your, your counterpart, uh, Dave Kohler running the OLAP property might be something there. Open up access in those yeah, areas. Absolutely. I mean, if you, yeah. Bob, if you found 15,000 acres to get, to get access to, to, you know, to, to do your work, to do your research, you know, that <laughs> might, might make sense. I'd go up there. I have no problems going up there at all. So, months. What else you got? Well, just as we fo uh, wind this down, I, I want to take a few minutes and Bob just to focus on Kildeer Plains uh, Wildlife Area, sp kind of specifically. Um, so, for those who are not familiar, uh, we're talking Hardin, Wyandotte, Marion County area. Uh, uh, it was near Kenton, Upper Sandusky. They're kind of some of the the towns that are a little bit uh, nearby. Bob, can you give us a quick rundown on the background of the wildlife area, what it has to offer? I mean, I when I was there, I think it's about 9,000 acres. Uh, the wildlife is plentiful. There was three or four bald eagles in the one field one morning, and then the turkeys just walking around everywhere, and coyotes and geese, and it's got all kinds of fun stuff. It, it does. Um, uh, Kildeer Kill Plains Wildlife Area is one of the uh, – most unique areas that that I work on, uh, for sure. Uh, it is, as you said, a little over uh, 9,200 acres. About 3,000 acres of that 9,200 is wildlife refuge, which means that uh, it is controlled access, and the only way to for anybody to go into that portion of the property uh, is by permit only. Uh, that is the area where we offer all of our controlled hunting opportunities, uh, from waterfowl to, to deer. Um, we and turkey, as as uh, you guys have mentioned earlier, um, it was uh, purchase of the land was uh, started clear back in 1952. Um, and it, through the years, it has become one of the main uh, priority areas in the, this part of the state.
for bird watching. Uh, there's just a tremendous amount of wildlife there and different species there. Uh, birding is, is extremely popular in addition to all of the um, uh, consumptive wildlife recreational opportunities that that Sodier uh, offers. So, um, so 6,000, a little over 6,000 acres is open access. Um, so people can go there, traverse, uh, hunt whatever is in season, watch whatever they can come across, and the 3,000 acres would be the, um, you know, access by permit only. How much, how much of that uh, 6,000 acres would you say is, is wooded? Because that was one thing I noticed. It's, it's almost got that marsh feel for a lot of it. Um, not a ton of huge stands of, of woods, but I mean, there's some, but. Yeah, it, it's, it's a very minimal uh, percentage of the acreage. I think across the entire uh, property, uh, all 9,200 acres, there's probably maybe, a, you know, 1,000 to 1,500 acres that are wooded. Um, Kilder Plains is primarily managed as a grassland and wetland complex. Uh, it historically was um, a wet prairie area and that prairie, you know, covered about approximately 30,000 acres historically. So it is home to um, a, a large number of state listed and some federally listed um, species of, of wildlife and, and plants. So um, there's a lot of, uh, there's some areas where we have the remnant prairies that actually occurred there historically. And uh, so, so yeah, it's it's certainly the forested areas are extremely important, uh, but uh, the primary management of the area is that wetland grassland complex. So, as I mentioned, the uh, one of the things I took away from there, besides I didn't get a turkey, uh, was that there are a lot of deer, and I guess I'm just looking for your kind of opinion. We talked about the CWD. We talked about what the the wildlife area has to offer. Do you guys have too many deer up there? And I, the reason I ask is because when I was driving in and out in the dark, I, I said this on one of the last shows, but it was like a uh, big buck hunter. You know that video game where like the deer unrealistically just <laughs> con continue to jump out, and it was like every hundred yards, it was like up oh, there's four more, up oh, there's three more. You know, just constantly again and again and again and the one morning i mean we might have bumped the same ones a few times i don't know but i swear we saw 50 deer before 8 30 in the morning and i'm sitting there i'm just like as a as a primary primarily a deer hunter i'm supposed to be looking for birds but all i'm watching are these white tails running away um and i'm sitting there thinking man there's a lot of deer here so it's it's almost like no wonder to me that you could maybe have a disease problem but uh, also offering these extended hunts and stuff um is that kind of the consensus, or was I was I just an anomaly when I was up there? No, that that is, uh, you know, majority of people that participate in um, opportunities to access the refuge area um, have those comments. Um, we do have a high deer density on the property, um, and as uh, um, Mike and Clint have, have uh, you know, discussed, um, you know, that extends out to the surrounding properties, uh, private properties as well. So, um, you know, when we started these controlled deer hunts on the refuge historically, which uh, 
you know, preceded my my tenure uh, with the division. Um, it was um, designed for some, you know, quality um, opportunities. And the problem is with all of this is every, everybody's, you know, it's, it's something that's really subjective. What is, um, you know, what is a quality hunt? What is um, an adequate deer population? Some folks think, uh, you know, adequate is a deer behind every tree and cornstalk. Um, others just, you know, think that if they see something, that's a that's an awesome day. And so it's kind of hard to, um, you know, put a finger on, uh, you know, navigating through this um, this issue, uh, especially you know the chronic wasting disease and targeted removals and whatnot. But um, you know, so so yeah, I guess to answer your question, uh, we do have a high deer density on the property. We have expanded our controlled hunting opportunities through our uh, lottery drawings. Uh, we have. Um, archery hunts uh, from the beginning of archery season up till youth gun. Uh, we have, then we change over to our gun hunts. We offer op, um, hunt, hunting opportunities to uh, mobility impaired folks, youth, and uh, the general, you know, all applicants, um, anybody who wants to apply. So, um, and we run those hunts clear to the end of the season. Um, not every day, uh, but you know the gun hunts typically occur on Saturdays, so gives the the deer a little chance to rest in between, um, you know, for the rest of the week and uh, uh, makes the makes the uh, hopefully makes the hunting opportunity a little more productive. But you know, our goal uh, with these hunts is to expand that opportunity and to you know hopefully harvest. Uh, a greater number of deer than what we have historically in the past. So we're changing over more from um, just a opportunity uh, quality hunt to um, a management hunt and hopefully the participants in that that management hunt perspective will have quality opportunities as well. Awesome and as far as the the lottery hunts and stuff go that's uh stuff everybody can apply for as they're buying their their license and their tags and that kind of stuff right yeah uh, watch for uh watch for uh, announcements uh certainly monitor the division of wildlife's website but uh usually the um, application period is during the month of july so um and in order to apply for those controlled hunts uh, you would need to log in just like you're going to buy a license and there should be a tab to select for controlled hunts and then you can select the those hunts that you would uh, want to participate in so but that will be during the month of July awesome yeah we'll make sure we uh, we keep everybody up to up to speed on that um, hey Andrew yes sir this is Clint uh, I did want to I did want to mention that you know yeah, we do have, we, we, there are a lot of deer up there at Kildeer, um, but they're, believe it or not, not as many as there used to be. Um, you saw a lot of deer back in turkey season. Um, that was after hunting season and that was after targeted removals. Uh, so, you know, in all likelihood, that's the lowest the deer population is going to be throughout the whole year. Um, but if I, if, 
I'll take you back a couple of years and just give you a rundown of, 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 of what we've seen. Cause we've been doing aerial surveys on, on, the, on the refuge over the last several years. Um, the first year in uh, February, 2020. So two, two years ago, uh, we counted 300 deer in the refuge. Uh, February, 2021, 283. February, 2022, just a couple months ago, 186. But those those increased harvests are resulting in 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 a population moving in the direction that we'd like for it to go. That's awesome, and that's great. To, I love the numbers because it really shows you what what's going on. So, Clint, I you're pretty quiet through most of that, man. But I have to say, one of the most uh, intriguing things I've heard so far is that you get to fly around in a helicopter and count deer. I mean, I I think that sounds like the ultimate profession. Only if I was able to fly the helicopter would it be the ultimate <laughs> profession. <laughs> that, that's it takes scouting to a new level you know <laughs> yeah so it, it's a lot of fun good well gentlemen if there's anything else that you have to share uh if not we we really appreciate your time i, I think this is great to uh you know from from hunters on the ground across the state I, we, we appreciate you we appreciate all the work you're putting in and um to help this herd and keep everything moving in the right direction in the long run um and we look forward to talking to you again someday Andrew, I do have a, a, a thought that I'd like to share with the group before we close. Um, just a, we've been plugging folks all along, um, you know, <clears throat> the hunters for the work that they've been doing, um, the, the, um, the, the landowners for the access that they've given us. Um, clearly, the, the work that Bob and his staff and our agency has put forth in, in terms of trying to address these, these uh, large deer numbers. And I also, I, I think it's also worth plugging and because we don't get plugged very often, well, um, it just doesn't happen. But I, I want to say, you know, there's there's a uh, there's a genuine effort on the part of this agency really to address, and I'm and I'm segueing here, but there's there's a, a legitimate effort on the part of this agency to address the deer population in that area, and, and nothing speaks more to that than the steps, not only supporting the the controlled uh, all the controlled hunts, but the, and the postseason removals, but but. But the year that we found, 2020, after that season, uh, the agency did something unprecedented that you may or may not be uh, aware of. And that is they gave folks an opportunity that participated in some of those late season controlled hunts um, to harvest as uh, up to, uh, I believe, four or five additional deer. And those could have been antler deer, could have been booners if they wanted to, just to, uh, um, you know, just to address the, the local deer population. So hats off to them. And, and I'd say... Uh, again, my segue here is is that um, we we really because you you understand the country you've traveled there now you know what it looks like we bump the deer off the refuge if they're going to another refuge you know we're we're sort of we're sort of dead in the water in terms of our ability to manage that herd so so we really need um, not only landowners to continue to provide access but we need hunters that are willing to step up. Um, and 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 support the effort by taking maybe an additional deer or four. <laughs> uh, and I know that's a lot to ask, but uh, I think together, uh, together, um, 
uh, we've got a great plan moving forward and, and together, only together are we going to be successful. And, and success is not eliminating CWD. Let's be honest, that's not going to happen. Um, I don't think that's going to happen, but we can contain it. We can find a way to live with it. Um, we can keep it from moving around to the degree possible if we all decide to work together. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, guys, uh, have a have a great rest of your day. Uh, enjoy the summer as we uh, we lead up. One of you guys said that we you know we were starting to talk about fall. Well, some of us have already started thinking about fall, like a couple weeks ago when we were out chasing birds and couldn't find them. Then we're ready for deer season to start. So, um, but you guys have a great day. We appreciate your time. See you. Thanks, Thank Andrew. You. Thank you. I guess. See you, Paul. <clears throat>